KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota Dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places. Good morning, I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Wednesday, August 31st. San Diego County has a new plan to get more behavioral health workers. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. A bill that would allow qualified nurse practitioners in California to perform first trimester abortions without a supervising physician is awaiting the governor's signature. Senate Bill 1375 was written by Senator Tony Atkins, who represents parts of San Diego County. Atkins said expanding the number of nurse practitioners who can perform abortions will give more people the ability to get the essential care they need. State hospital officials are proposing placing a man classified as a sexually violent predator in a home in Hakamba Hot Springs. According to the San Diego County District Attorney's Office, William Stafford was convicted of numerous sex offenses between 1968 and 1990 in San Diego County. He's currently housed at Coalinga State Hospital. A San Diego Superior Court granted his conditional release last year. A court hearing on the Hakamba placement is scheduled for September 30th. You're probably feeling the heat today and it's expected to be around through Labor Day. The National Weather Service issued an excessive heat warning and the county's Office of Emergency Services is telling people to stay in air-conditioned spaces if they can. But some people have to work outside like mail carrier Edward King. Heat stroke can hit you without, without even knowing it. And the problem is, it stays with you. Just drink, drink a lot of water. Every 15 minutes, always drinking water. The humidity is expected to be high, making the heat wave even more dangerous. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by the National Conflict Resolution Center. Topics like political polarization and hybrid work policies can create workplace conflict. NCRC can help workplace leaders navigate divisive issues with the culture, communication, and conflict certificate. More at ncrconline.com. Like in many places, rates of mental illness and substance abuse are skyrocketing in San Diego County. At the same time, the region is facing a shortage of behavioral health workers. KPBS health reporter Matt Hoffman has more on a new plan that aims to close the gap, but with a hefty price tag. Over the next five years, we need to recruit more people than currently work in this field. That's a very, very tall order. The San Diego Workforce Partnership's chief economist, Daniel Enamark, helped prepare the behavioral health report that he calls one of a kind. It included surveying some 1,600 behavioral health workers and students. Results found that the majority of jobs are underpaying. This is a problem. We can't recruit and retain people if we aren't paying them. The Workforce Partnership presented their findings to local providers during a recent behavioral health symposium. Officials estimate between the private, public, and nonprofit sector, there's currently 17,000 behavioral health workers to serve a county of more than 3 million. The current workforce is meeting a lot of the behavioral health need, but not all of it. 
According to the partnership, to meet the growing need and replace people leaving the field, about 18,000 more workers need to be hired in the San Diego region over the next five years. That includes everything from peer support specialists to counselors, social workers, psychiatrists, and other hospital staff. I would say nowhere in America has built out the system of behavioral health care to provide the right care to the right person at the right time. And I want San Diego to be the first. Chairman of the San Diego County Board of Supervisors, Nathan Fletcher, commissioned this study. He says no one entity can fix this gap overnight, but many have to chip in. We're hoping uh, to not only leverage our friends in philanthropy, uh, to have the county join, to have the state join. Uh, We'll be going to Washington, D.C. to advocate for funding there because we've got to develop a system that gets the right person, the right care at the right time. And the investing in people and in the workforce is is a vital component. The county has been doing more in recent years. The last four budget cycles have resulted in a total $230 million increase in behavioral health services, with the overall budget now approaching $900 million. For Fletcher, this issue is personal. He says he had a turbulent and traumatic childhood, then as a Marine, had multiple combat deployments. Watch the impact of of combat uh, weigh not just on me, but on my friends, and, and I know how serious that is. But the reality of trauma is it's not just Marines and Navy SEALs in war who go through this. Trauma is trauma. You know, anyone who survived a sexual assault, anyone who's been in a difficult situation uh, could be experiencing that. The county issues contracts to local nonprofits who then provide behavioral health services in the region. But some argue that system is outdated and doesn't keep pace with rising costs of living. Right now, the county is allowing us to do hire on bonuses, but we also need to do retention bonuses. We need to be able to reward the staff who have stuck with us, especially during the pandemic. Catherine Nicario is CEO of San Diego's chapter of the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or NAMI. They work with up to 40,000 San Diegans each year. Nicario says some of her staff are leaving the field because of burnout. Individuals are also leaving for higher paying jobs within the same industry since there is such a workforce shortage. What we're seeing happening is folks are leaving for one or two dollars more an hour and literally giving no notice, like saying, hey, today's my last day. I'm going to go work for so-and-so and I start tomorrow. The Workforce Partnership estimates the price tag for hiring and training 18,000 additional workers would be around $424 million. They're recommending a down payment strategy. It calls for investing about a third of that to bring on thousands of workers over the next five to 10 years. Nicario is part of the steering committee that aims to put these goals into action. This is truly where the work does begin. We don't want this to go up on a shelf and gather dust. So we have to get a core group of individuals together that over the next two, three, five, seven years can make sure this is continuing to be pushed forward. The Workforce Partnership also recommends developing a regional training hub to help create a steady pipeline of behavioral health workers. Matt Hoffman, KPBS News. SDSU's athletic director has confirmed the department hired a rape survivor and victim's advocate to speak to the football team last fall, shortly after a 17-year-old girl reported being raped by football players. KPBS reporter Alexander Wynn has a look at the sexual violence training that all SDSU athletes go through. 
Brenda Tracy was part of what SDSU athletic director John Wicker calls enhanced training for athletes. It took place a few weeks after the alleged rape was reported. She did not know at the time how similar the rape allegations were to her own sexual assault in 1998. Tracy was gang raped by Oregon State football players. I just, I don't get it because I speak very specifically about the people who do nothing. All San Diego State student-athletes are required each fall to go through the training provided by the Center for Community Solutions, San Diego's only rape crisis center. The training includes breaking down power dynamics and bystander intervention, giving athletes the tools to speak up. Verna Griffin-Tabor is the chief executive officer for the Center for Community Solutions. We have um, curriculum that we go through, and it's um, what is consent, uh, some role-playing, some discussions, and breaking out in smaller groups. So hopefully the athletes have the opportunity to really take a deep dive, really self-reflect. That was reporting from KPBS's Alexander Wynn. Chula Vista's Harborside Park is supposed to be closed today, but people who've been living in tents there are making their case to stay put. They filed a preliminary injunction request at federal court to try to keep the city from evicting them. Mandy Lynn helped them file the paperwork. They're filing uh, Martin versus Boise uh, that they have been offered no reasonable shelter. And per that, they cannot be evicted from this park uh, because Chula Vista has zero shelter beds. There's, there's no shelter beds. And even if they send them to other areas, there are also no shelter beds. Mama Heather has been homeless for over 25 years and lived in a tent at the park for the last five months. She packed all her belongings. Booming day tomorrow means heartache for everybody. A lot of people have a lot of ties with each other. They're trying to be together. I know a lot of the guys here, a lot of the people here that made a lot of friends. And they have to move. They don't know where they're going to go. If the temporary injunction filing doesn't work, Harborside Park will be temporarily closed for 90 days with an option for the city manager to extend the closure longer. It'll cost the city $350,000 for temporary fencing and security. Coming up, how will Greenland's melting ice sheets impact San Diego? We'll have that story and more next, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com. A new analysis says the melting ice sheets of Greenland alone will cause a 10-inch rise to sea levels around the world. KPBS science and technology reporter Thomas Fudge tells us about the study and what that means for San Diego. 
As our oceans and atmosphere warm, the ice sheets of Greenland are melting and breaking apart, and all that ice is going in the ocean. A new study in the journal Nature Climate Change says this will force a sea level rise of at least 10 inches, maybe as much as 30 inches. Helen Fricker is a geophysicist with the Scripps Institution of Oceanography. She says San Diego already floods during king tides, and we will see it get worse. You get Antarctica and Greenland melting on top, that baseline goes up, and so our frequency of flooding events increases. She says low-lying areas like Midway, which is planned for new development, will soon be underwater. I'm sorry, but Midway District is going to be a problem in about a decade. Fricker says it's hard to say just how much of Greenland's ice sheets will melt, but sea levels will rise and coastal communities like ours will see the consequences. Thomas Fudge, KPBS News. First-year students at Cal State San Marcos are feeling the jitters as classes kick off this week. But some of them get to wind down in the brand-new housing facility. KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne tells us about the school's newest housing complex. North Commons is the name of the brand-new 332-bed housing complex for Cal State San Marcos students inside the North City project near campus. It's the second housing facility to be built by the North City developer, Seabreeze Properties. Ali Serrano, the Interim Director of Residential Education with Cal State San Marcos, says the new housing facilities are helping the campus keep up with the demand of new students. CSUSM is no longer, you know, just kind of a commuter campus. This is a place that students are excited to be at and a place that we really want to make sure that this is the best years of their life. She says having more housing near campus has helped get more students to choose Cal State San Marcos. Next year, the university will break ground on a new affordable housing and dining facility on campus for low-income students. Tanya Thorne, KPBS News. It happens to the best of us. You wake up one summer morning, casually walk through your home, and are confronted with ants. Ants swarming on the cat food, ants marching into your garbage, ants in your bathroom. Where do they come from? Why are they here? And what can make them go away? Professor David Holway is in the Department of Ecology, Behavior, and Evolution at UC San Diego. He studies the intricate structure of ant colonies, the different species of ants in California, and why those tiny ants in your sink may be a problem for our ecology. He joined KPBS's Maureen Cavanaugh to talk about why these ants come into our homes. The kind of ants I usually see these days are extremely small, not the bigger ants that I remember at picnics on the East Coast. What kind of ants are these tiny ones? Well, we have between 100 and 200 different ant species here in San Diego County, but the most common ant that comes into people's homes, especially at this time of year, is the Argentine ant, which is a species that's been in California for over 100 years. So you say they've been here for about 100 years, so they're not native to California? That's correct. As their name would imply, they're native to uh, Southern South America, Northern Argentina and surrounding regions but have been introduced into new environments uh, all over the world. How big is the colony of Argentine ants in California? Argentine ants in California form what are often called super colonies. And and what 
biologists mean by this is that the, the workers from different locations tend to not act aggressively with one another. The super colonies are made up of, of ants that live in, in individual nests. And what makes the Argentine ant interesting is that they will relocate their nests often throughout the year in response to changing environmental conditions and opportunities such as uh, food in people's homes. Do they pose a threat to our ecology since they are not from around here originally? Well, they do. The Argentine ant is, a, is an interesting species because in addition to being an urban pest where it comes into people's homes, it's also a conservation problem. In the displacement of native ants is a, is a well-documented phenomenon associated with Argentine ant invasions. But Argentine ants disrupt ecosystems in a variety of other ways as well. They interfere with plant pollinator interactions. They also interfere with uh, seed dispersal mutualisms. And another way in which they affect our local ecosystems is that there are organisms that prey upon native ants, but don't prey upon Argentine ants. And, and one that seems to have declined locally is the, the coastal horn lizard. Coastal horn lizards uh, consume uh, arthropods, but that seem to like large bodied ant species, harvester ants, carpenter ants, things like that, but they don't feed on, on Argentine ants. Why do the ants make incursions into houses? What are they looking for that they can't find outside? Well, at this time of year, uh, the Argentine ants mostly looking for water, and this will bring them into people's homes. And when they come into people's homes and they find food, they'll also take advantage of the food as well. The Argentine ant will also come into people's homes uh, at the start of winter because they, they'll get uh, flooded out of their nest sites. So the, the period of the year when, when Argentine ants seem most conspicuous as pests tend to be uh, July through, through the first part, of, uh, first part of winter, November, December. Now, if you see an ant, the, the first reaction uh, for many people may be to get out the can of Raid. Is that an effective option? Well, pesticides are uh, often very effective at killing insects, and there are a variety of products uh, available that one can use to, to kill ants. Doing so is, is often unnecessary because, as we've discussed, ants are uh, typically temporary visitors uh, inside homes, and pesticides have well-known environmental impacts. Uh, many of the pesticides that are commercially available can be environmentally persistent, and uh, be carried in stormwater uh, into freshwater ecosystems where they have effects that are uh, far reaching and uh, extend well beyond use outside of a, of a house, for example. The other thing I can say is that uh, despite the fact that Argentine ants are uh, usually perceived as a nuisance inside the house, they are completely harmless. They don't sting and they also don't carry any diseases. That was UC San Diego professor David Holway speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Maureen Cavanaugh. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great day.
KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a journey through computation, data analysis, and real-world applications. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu.